Hello and welcome to the Talk Derby to Me podcast. I'm Blake Fallows, sponsored by SMJ Brady, Connect Red and Elite Football Development. We've got Warren Barton for you today, former Newcastle United, Wimbledon and Derby County defender. Probably best known for his time at Newcastle, still loved and revered up there. Captain for many years in a side that near enough on a couple of occasions won the Premier League. I think they were 12 points clear at one point. Um, so an absolute legend, played for England, came to Derby at a difficult time. The season we, we went down really. And didn't really didn't really have the effect that he maybe would have if he'd have come earlier in his career or at a different point in the clubs in the club's history. But a, a top bloke and he's basically the equivalent of a, a Gary Lineker or a Gary Neville over in America now. He's a he's a football pundit over there, involved in football in America. A really interesting chat, so let's get to it. Warren Barton, former Derby, Newcastle and Wimbledon defender. Welcome to the podcast, Warren Barton, all the way from, is it San Diego? Sunny San Diego, California, yeah. So, um, been over here now 12 years, uh, moved over with my wife and three young boys at the time. So, uh, we're citizens now and uh, we miss England. You know, there's certain things we miss, but we don't miss the, the rain and the cold and the doom and gloom. But uh, yeah, all the way from, it's 74, 75 degrees at the moment. So, I don't want to make you jealous. And it's like that for the whole weekend as well. Oh, amazing! Well, I'm sat in a in a derby in, my, in a room in Derby overlooking Chadderston near the ground where we used to play, and it's been absolutely tipping it down all day. It's miserable, and I'm looking at you at ten o'clock in the morning, and I can barely. See. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. The sunshine behind us. Sorry, yeah, it, it comes in from the east and goes to the west. So, yeah, but all good, all good. What uh, What was the reason for making that move? Then was it a, a career move? No, um, you know, obviously, I did a. You know, a decent career, good career uh, in the in England. Um, you know, being told twice you're too small, uh, you're not going to make it, and then going on playing for your country, playing for teams like Derby and Newcastle and, and Wimbledon. Um, and it was always in our mind that we, you know, we being my wife and family would come to America on you know vacation, and whether it was just going to you know New York, Chicago, or going to Disneyland with the kids and things like that. But we just love the positivity, um, the lifestyle, the quality of life. Um, so I retired in 05, um, was doing some media work with Sky ITV for the World Cup uh, and just got a contact um, in Fox Sports um, while I was over here on vacation, just bumped into him. One thing led to another. Uh, three years later, uh, we moved out here. But it was always in our mind. I've been out here a lot of times with, with Newcastle on pre-season games, uh, done some things with Adidas, who I was sponsored with. We flew with me out here and did a couple of uh, like camps and, and soccer schools, as they call them out here, and just loved the vibe and the, the positivity. Looked at Atlanta, looked at San Francisco, looked at Los Angeles, but... A friend of mine said to me, why don't you go and have a look at San Diego and the quality of life and the, the, the type of life that we have here. The kids would finish school at, say, two o'clock and they've got three hours on the beach uh, playing. So that was their that was their playground. So it was a for a family move, really, and a, a better quality of life. And lucky enough, I had the media side with with Fox. But it also gave me a chance to be with my kids and coach them um, through from when they was five, six, seven, eight years of age. Uh, all the way through so it gave me a chance to be with them where in England who knows you know I might have been coaching here I might have been traveling different stuff going on but I just made a conscious decision for my family to to be out here and it's, it's been wonderful it's been fantastic. 
work-wise over there, is it is it purely the media stuff? Or are you still involved in the in the coaching side of the game as, as both. well as? Yeah, both. both. I, I've, I've been lucky enough where you know the media side at the moment, like anything else, is is very very quiet. We're just doing it, um, it off tube, as they say. So we're just doing it off a TV screen. Not a lot of travelling. Uh, but it, as I said, I do the coaching Monday to Friday and the weekends can work around my schedule as I would do with the TV. So, uh, yeah, sometimes it was hectic, you know, having three boys. I mean, my oldest one now is in England, actually. He's, he was, um, he's been over there training with a couple of teams. He's been with Seattle Sounders and now he's over with Maidstone where I started off uh, and he's looking to get into the game over there. He's 21 years of age, so he's got a chance. Everything I wasn't really quick and left-footed. So he's got a chance to, to make it over there. And um, what my middle one now has gone to college and my, my youngest one, who's 16, uh, I'm still coaching him. So um, I'm going to finish off him for another 18 months. And then who knows? I, I love coaching, if I'm being totally honest. The media has been great and it gave me that versatility to, to be with my family and the coach. But I've done my pro license many, many years ago with the likes of Stuart Pierce and uh, Tony Adams, them type of people when we was doing it way, way back. Um, but I would love to get into it. Um, but it just has to be the right time and the right opportunity. Was it difficult going back to when you first got involved in the game? Because you came from one of those places that came from being involved in, like you say, at Maidstone and, and non-league to, to getting the move to, to Wimbledon. And you mentioned briefly about being told you're too small and, and things like that. Did it Was it challenging for you to first break into, into the game? It, it was all I knew, though. So, uh, it, yes, there was challenges and it was difficult. You know, at 13 at Watford, being told with uh, Graham Taylor, it, although it wasn't Graham, it was a, another guy called um, Tom Wally, who was the, the coach. It's funny enough, you remember people's names way, way back when I was 13. He said I was too small, wasn't going to make it. So, he released me. I went to a, a, a local team, Leighton Orient, and a, a Newcastle legend, actually. Funny enough, Frank Clark was there and I did. The old, you won't remember because you're too young, but people remember I did my YTS when it first started, £27 a week and expenses. And uh, I did that at Leighton Orient. And again, at 16, Frank turned around and said, unfortunately, you're too small, we're not going to make it. I went non-league. I played for Dagenham and Redbridge, went to Maidstone. And then 10 months later for Maidstone, I was playing against Liverpool and Arsenal in the Premier League. So, you know, yeah, it was, it was a challenge. Uh, but as I said, it's all I really knew. Um, I had my family, my brother, older brother and my mum and sister supported me but yeah I cried my eyes out uh, but it made me focus I remember saying to Frank at 16 I was like five foot one he said have you got anything to say I said I'm, I'm going to prove you wrong um, and funny enough when I was at Newcastle and we was doing well they would bring him in as a an old legend player and the first question people would ask me have you got anything to say to Frank and I said well yeah funny enough he told me I was too small I was never going to make it so it's funny how things work out but it's just opinions. Um, and I was driven to be, you know, I wasn't the most blessed player in the world, the most gifted player, but I had hard work, commitment, effort uh, and desire. And I think that's what fans, I think, respected. Mainly sometimes didn't maybe uh, appreciate some mistakes that people make. But I think every club that I play for, I'd give everything I've got. Um, and, you know, that's why I can put my head on the pillow at night and say, look, I did my best uh, and I'd, I'd give everything to the sport. And that's why I was ready to retire at, you know, 35, nearly 36 years of age. Was there any ever uh, any doubt in your mind when you're going through the, the difficult times and going into non-league? Did you always know I'm still going to, oh, this is just a setback. I am still definitely good. This is what I'm doing. I'm going to be a footballer. Yeah, I was driven to be, yeah, whatever it was going to be, I, it would, you know, whether I was, you know, a little story is that I used to work for a chartered accountant in, in London 
uh, and play non-league and people know non-league, particularly teams like Burton Albion and that that was non-league at the time that are close to the Derby area, is that I would train four days a week, but I'd get on my moped, I had a 50cc Honda moped, travel about eight miles across London where it's pouring down rain, freezing cold, do my work, get back on my bike. My boss was allowing me to leave 30 minutes early, get back on my moped, go down to Dagenham and Redbridge and Maidstone and, and, and do my non-league football there um, with plumbers, with builders, with electricians, with policemen, all doing our jobs, going out there playing. And uh, it toughened me up. It made me realise, you know, what it, what it takes. And, um, and then I'd go for a run and I'd do other things. But it's all I knew. And I knew in my mind, that that's what I wanted to be. Um, like millions and millions of kids nowadays, we all want to be. I think some people now, young players and young people, and I've got the same thing with my kid. They want to be a Premier League player without having to put the hard work in. And I, and I think, you know, that's something that you'll see the ones that have got the work ethic, like a Wayne Rooney, you know, at, at the club. He, he's still driven now. I mean, maybe he hasn't got the legs, he hasn't got, but he still, is, as you ask him now, he wants to win a five-a-side, he wants to win a game as much as he did when he was 16, because that's in his makeup. And I, I'm not sure whether we've got enough of them uh, coming through, but there's obviously a lot of talented young players uh, at Derby and, and, and in England in general. Um, but it's all I knew. It's all I wanted to be. Uh, I remember just another one, a quick story. We did a little bit with Kieran Dyer, who was up in Newcastle at the time. And we, you know, me and Gary Speed and Alan Shearer were sitting there talking. It was, I wanted to play for England. I wanted to play for a cup final. I was an Arsenal fan. I remember in the late 70s, early 80s, Arsenal going against, you know, West Ham, Ipswich and Man United and Alan Sutherland scoring a goal. I wanted to play in a cup final and I wanted to play for England. Brian Robson was my hero. We asked Kieran. He said he wanted a big watch and a fast car. So, you know, that was the difference. And, and that's fine. You know, that's what turned people on. And, you know, that's what got Kieran going. And, and now I would imagine uh, younger players are driven by Instagram, how many likes, how many things they're going to get. And, and that's fine. You know, that's, that's part of what drives you on and what ticks your box. But at me, it was all I knew was I wanted to be a player. I didn't want to work in a factory. I wanted to give everything I could to try and be a, a, a player. And, and lucky enough, I got my opportunity. And, and then, then it's down to me then. And then I took it, obviously. We had uh, we spoke to Paul Williams uh, a couple of days ago, who and we were talking about his YTS days at, at Derby, and he played with a few like uh, there was Craig Ramage there, Steve Round. There's quite a few of the like, characters in there. And I asked him the question because it was under Arthur Cox, so I know you went on to mm. deal with it at Newcastle. And I said to him about the changes in YTS. Do you think that's why there's a change in attitude now? And he, he as a coach, he said, "No, I think things have evolved." Do you think that? they've kind of lost something, some grounding. Because obviously you came from non-league and there's no YTS now and it's not the same character building type thing. Has that no, uh, no, no, no. I think it's the mentality. And I understand your question. It's a, and it's a great question, a great point. I mean, what we did old school was, was fine. And that was, that was that time. But you can't do that now. And we've evolved in how to be a coach, how to make, you know, and what's, what I get as a fan and, and you'll be the same is, do you think people were, you know, give them everything for the shirts? I don't think, you know, someone said it many, many years ago. I think they're more worried about the name on the back than they are on the front. And, you know, United are having that problem and other teams are having that problem. Oh, you should want to, like Roy Keane said, you should want to play for Man Well, no, not really. They don't want to play for Man United. They want to play for whoever's going to win a trophy or whoever's going to pay them the most money and, and things like that. So the game's evolved. So you've got to try and get the best out of, you know, Marcus Rashford. You know, for example, he's got a lot of old school mentality of what he's been doing, his work effort. 
but he's still a young player and a, a, a role model. Sterling's the same, you know. It's it's different things. It's horses for courses. What we did in the 80s and 90s, and me and Paul and, you know, whether it was Daryl Power, whoever it was, you know, that was different. Now you've got to try and find a way uh, of going through. And so Alex Ferguson was probably the best at that. With Manchester United, when he had Bruce, Pallister, Robson, Ince, then he went into the fledgings of, of Beckham and that who would do anything he said because uh, they was in awe of him. Uh, and, that, and then he went into the Ronaldos and Rooney where they wanted to win, they wanted to be successful, wherever it was. And he was able to change with the times. Um, and I think that's what we have to do as, as people. I mean, I, I'm, I, I treat my kids totally different to my mum and dad treated me. <laughs> and that's just how we've evolved. Because, you know, um, that's just how, how life is. And not that I had a bad upbringing and mum and dad divorce or whatever, but you treat your kids differently. You know, they actually, my kids tell me I'm too soft. So that's probably, <laughs> that's, now it's like, you think, well, hold on, maybe I should go a little bit old school. But um, yeah, you just try and get the best out of people. And, you know, particularly what we're living in at the moment, it, it's, it's difficult for a lot of people. We mentioned Arthur Cox briefly, and I know you had dealings with him. Obviously, being a Derby podcast, people will be interested to hear because we've had loads of brilliant stories. And um, I told this story quite a bit of, of Craig Ramage. He got into a bit of a bit of bother uh, working doing some punditry here. And one of the first phone calls he got was Arthur Cox, thirty years after he's played to him, played for him, saying, "What have you been up to, son?" Like that's, <laughs> that's a proper gaffer. What are your memories of, of Coxie? Yeah, Arthur was was phenomenal. Obviously, uh, my first recognition of, of Arthur's I would have played against some of his teams late, early on in my career, late in his career. But I was at Wimbledon, uh, and it was in February, and we just played Newcastle. And obviously, Arthur was at Newcastle with Kevin Keegan and Terry McDermott, and we went into the hotel, uh, and Arthur was sitting there. Me and Robbie Earl, all the lads have gone and done their business or whatever they're doing downtown. But me and Robbie, for some reason, decided to just stay in the reception, and Arthur was there. And we sat for him for about 90 minutes, you know, and it was midnight, gone midnight. And Arthur, you know, anyone that knows Arthur, he's in bed, you know, shirts folded, pyjamas are on, he's, he's in bed ready for the next day. Uh, and we was talking about the game and he was telling me about the club, about the city, about the fans. And, and lo and behold, obviously, three months later, I go there as a record signing, as a defender. And But being around Arthur, you know, there's no grey areas with him, you know, and... Um, his man management skills as well, you know, with Les Ferdinand, he got, he made Les feel like he was walking on water. With me, sometimes it, it'd come down on me and Peter Beardsley and maybe Rob Lee. It'd be different. Um, but, you know, his old saying that the ball's round to go round and, uh, and no one's as quick as the ball. And But he was brilliant. And it, it, a lot of it was tongue in cheek. You know, he was like the old Sergeant Major, but he was brilliant. I mean, his knowledge about the game, his sense of humour, um, everything about him, but he was the stern word, you know, if anyone was getting a little bit carried away, he would diffuse the situation. You know, we had it with maybe David was getting, David Ginola was getting a bit upset about things and Arthur would have a sense to, to calm him down. And you wouldn't think of Arthur being like that. You think of him saying, go on, let's go. But he was, he was fantastic at, at the time. And again, Kevin was always in his ear, finding out about things. He's obviously well-liked in the football world in general, but particularly Newcastle and, and Derby because how successful he was. And I remember, you know, players telling me, I think it was Dean Saunders who told the story that he locked him in the, the office, didn't he? At the baseball ground. He won't, he won't let him out of the office until he signed the contract. You know, yeah. brilliant. And it's just, that's how Arthur was. And John Gregory would tell me things, obviously, when John was there about Arthur and 
when we'd see Arthur, we'd bring it up and he'd just have that wry smile in his face and a little wink and a nod. And he still had the same haircut from when he was at Derby. He still done the same things. And he was just a lovely, lovely man uh, and a football man. And, you know, as I said, one of them that I put in that bracket of, you know, whether it was uh, Sir Bobby Robson or Kevin Keegan, Arthur Cox, uh, Jim Smith would be another one I'd throw in there. Uh, Harry went, just talk about football all day long. That's that's all they wanted to talk about, and that's what they loved. Um, and, and and everybody loved them, to be honest with you. Do you think football misses some of them characters now? Yeah, they do. I, I do. I definitely think, you know, we, we analyse things too much. I think that's why that little bit of aura with Klopp, he's a personality. Um, I think a lot of people would want to play for him. Uh, you know, even now when the British media and how we are as pundits are going to go after him a little bit because it's now he's losing the defender. How's he going to cope? Um, I think he's a great character, but yeah, there's, there's no doubt the game is a better place when you have them type of personalities and because they, they respect the game. Uh, they respect what they're doing. And that's why, you know, the likes of Steven Gerrard, you know, you want him to do well or Frank Lampard, a, a Pirlo, you know, these type of people that have got, you don't play at that level and that long if you ain't got a personality. And I always say it's an old saying, but something about, you know, they've got something that's made them different to everybody else. Um, and they've got that in abundance. And, um, you know, as I said, the, the more people like that we have in the game uh, uh, and better. I still believe, you know, uh, and Stuart Pierce, you know, Derby fans won't particularly like it, but Stuart was a, a good friend of mine. And he, he was always about getting badges, you know, getting licensed. So even though you've played 80 times for England or, you know, you've played 500 games in the Premier League, getting your coaching licence, understanding about the game, understanding about organising, um, if the FA or whoever it is can help these quality players still be involved. Um, you know, it, just because you play them games doesn't mean you know everything. you still got to learn your trade because coaching is totally different. But the game misses them type of personality. I think fans do. You know, that's why fans gravitate to, you know, Jack, Jack Grealish because he's got, the personality, they all want to be him on, on a Sunday morning. They've got their socks rolled down, shorts rolled up. They've had a good night Saturday night. They want to get out there and, and show how good they are. And, and, and he's a bit of a, a throwback. So I think that's why people, and particularly the, the British mentality, we gravitate to someone like that because we, we like someone with a bit of charisma and a bit of, bit of style about it and a bit of passion. I think you can probably add, I know you mentioned it earlier, Wayne Rooney to that list of someone who's maybe going to be like that in the, in the future. I know he's expressed yeah. his... And Shay, Shay Given's a, good, a very good friend. I keep yeah. in contact with Shay Given all the time. And, and Wayne, when he was over here, I, I'd see him occasionally. Um, but yeah, people like that, you know, coming through of Gareth Barrett. You know, the list goes on and on, but particularly a Rooney. You know, I think he's, he wants to, he's done the right thing with, with Philip uh, under being someone like him, particularly being Dutch and foreign. Mm. It's given him a different insight, you know, because mainly throughout his career, he's had a, a British coach. So getting a foreign coach is always, I found that when, when I went to Newcastle and actually at Derby as well, being around the foreign players, it gives you a different insight. If you're open-minded, it's fine. If you're that single-minded, well, what do they know? We know everything. Well, we don't. Be, you know, if you go and get them, I think Wayne will learn a lot off of being around someone like him because he respects him as a player and obviously respects him as a coach. When you talk about characters, uh, one of your first clubs was synonymous at one stage of having a team <laughs> full of characters. Was it, was it still crazy when, when you arrived there? Yeah, yeah, it, it was fun. It was it was fun. And um, if you didn't buy into it, it was going to be difficult for you. And like you said, things we did then, like setting John Hart's, uh, Hartson's clothes on fire or 
slashing the tyres of Dean Holdsworth or John Scales when he got a move. You, you couldn't do that now. You'd have an agent, you know, the, the player would be sulking, he'd right. ask for a transfer. Well, we would just do that again. You know, we had a guy called Kenny Cunningham, uh, Irish international player with Millwall, played for, for uh, uh, Birmingham as well and obviously played with women a long, long time. But his wife was, she was the boss. So we would go in the players' lane and every time a new player come in, we would cut their tie, you know, going in your first game at home, cut their tie. So we did it. She went ballistic in the players' lounge, find, trying to find, and that was like red rag to a ball to us a lot. So it was like, okay, we're really sorry. Like Vinny, Fashion You, Laurie Sanchez, all the, all the old school there, and myself, Robbie L, and uh, Dean Holdsworth, and John Scales. It's like, okay, we're, you know, we're really sorry. We'll find out who it was. Next, you can imagine the next home game. We cut his tie again, go back in the players and this is not effing funny, blah, blah, blah. So third game at home, we think, right, we'll do the whole lot. We cut his sleeves off. We cut his trousers in half. We done the tie. And great for Kenny because he walked straight in the players lounge with like his cut downs on, his cut sleeves cut off, his tie. And in the end, his wife was like, okay, <laughs> I get it now. So, you know, and he was a lovely, lovely fellow. And, you know, when I first got selected into a national team with England, with Graham Taylor, you know, I was 20, whatever years of age, 21, you know, thinking that I was the bee's knee. So I go to my car. It was an old Saab at the time. It might have been actually my old golf. So I had a car there in the car park. All my tyres have been slashed. You know, I ain't got no, I ain't got enough money. I'm like 21 years of age. I'm, I'm living day by day. I'm, I'm enjoying myself. It was the, it, I'm thinking it's like Fashion You or Vinny or someone. It was the owner, Sam, a man, had slashed my so you've got the owner that's slashing your tires of one of your international players. So God knows what the pl other players was all doing and, and and stuff like that. And you know, Dennis Wise, a famous story. We was in a hotel in Leeds. He he started setting off fireworks and things like that. So it was crazy. But we would win a lot of our games in the tunnel. You know, we would play a Southampton, a Norwich, Coventry, and you'd always get one of their centre halves. Normally, a Scandinavian would say something about Wimbledon, the crazy gang. They're not this, they're not that. So then Fash would come walking out. He'd be the captain, the last one, all toned up, all oil on his body. I mean, he was ripped. He had muscle on muscle on muscle. Come walking out. Hey, Bubala, come on, let's have a good game. And we'd all go, oh, Fash, it was him who said it. And you could see the, the guy's face with all the blood would drain out of his face. He was petrified. Fash would go up to him. Okay, me and you, big guy, me and you. Within about 10 minutes, you'd hear slap. He'd be on the floor. I mean, cut eye or whatever it was. And that's it. We would have won the game by then. And um, I'm not saying it's right. I'm not saying it, it's, it's how, but it's, it's what we needed to do because we couldn't compete sometimes with the technical side. But um, when Sir Alex Ferguson said his Man United team come down to Sellers Park at the, at the time and didn't get intimidated, there's a very famous on YouTube. Anyone watch the tackle from Vinnie Jones on Cantona? It was like by his hip. Vinnie had gone flying in. And um, they didn't buckle. They, they stood toe-to-toe. -to -toe. As I said, they had some people that could look after themselves. Steve Bruce, Dennis Irwin, you know, Paul Wintz was in there, Cantona, Mark Hewitt. I mean, we, we was a bit stupid. We're trying to pick a fight with some tough guys. So we, we thought we'd go for these lot. And they stood up to it and beat us 1-0. Um, and so Alex put in his book, he said, when, I, when we weren't intimidated by Wimbledon, I knew we'd win the league. So that, that's, a, that's a big compliment for us because, you know, in my time at Wimbledon, we was eighth, ninth, seventh, sixth in the league. Um, and and it, it, was, it was a fun time. You know, we'd go in, quick story at Plough Lane because they're going back there. We'd go into the players' lounge 
and then the players land the chairman who was a the actual chairman was an old guy about 80 years of age stanley reed he would have a player a chairman's lounge so we would go up to the chairman's lounge and then at 8 30 his door would open up to the nightclub at the back of the uh, player lane so we would go in the players lounge in the chairman's office straight into the nightclub and that was that, that was our cool down for for a sunday morning so uh needless to say it was it was quite a bit of fun <laughs> how we ever how we ever won games, I never know. But I tell you what, we used to train hard. We used to train hard, but it was uh, it was it was good times and great people. As I said, went there as a, a from non-league as a young boy uh, and come out there as a as a man. And uh, as I said, I loved every minute of it. Going from that to being a a record transfer <laughs> to Newcastle and playing with some of the players you played with at Newcastle and, and that team was that. Is that a step up or a culture shock or do you just adapt? It was just something that I'd gone to. It's like the you wanted to play non-league and just wanted to be a professional. I had a chance to play for Barnet and earn more money with Stan Flashman and Barry Fry, but I wanted to be a professional. So I went to Maidstone, went to Maidstone, obviously to Wimbledon. Then when Wimbledon, it was about not just staying in the Premier League and play, it's about winning things. So that was my next challenge. And at the time I'd been involved in the England setup and be involved with England as well. And that was the next step up for me to try and challenge and, and, and win trophies and be in cup finals, like I said earlier on. And, um, you know, at the time, speaking to clubs like Celtic, Sheffield Wednesday, Everton, spoke to David Dean at Arsenal uh, as well. And Man City had, had come in late and Blackburn with, with Kenny Dalgleish. But I met Arthur and and um, Kevin Keegan at a hotel in London. And it was it was done within about 20 minutes there. He said, come and join a big club. Um he said about what we're trying to do. I'd spoken to people like Barry Venison and uh, Peter Beardsley in the England setup as well. And they was telling me what going on. Obviously, I'd been playing against Newcastle for many, many games up at St. James's Park. And uh, it, it was a no-brainer. It was an easy decision. Uh, they was paying the money. And um, it was just a wonderful, wonderful time. It was a, a, a big culture shock, you said there, where at Wimbledon, we would play games in front, me and Terry Gibson counted once before a game against Bolton. There was like 800 people in the stadium before kickoff. Got to about 1,800, and that was the, the lowest attendance in the Premier League. We went to Wimbledon. Our first training session with David Ginola, Shaka, um, and Les Ferdinand and myself, there was 5,000 people there uh, going into the training ground. It took us 35 minutes to get out of our car to get into the changing room. Uh, and just walking around, like in London, uh, Wimbledon, you can sort of get lost. Uh, but in Newcastle, you go into a petrol station, you go into a supermarket, you sit in a restaurant um, and people want to know about the game and what's going on and how's training and what's this player like and what's Tino like to be around Espria. And it was a, a magnificent time and the city was vibrant. It was busy. Apartments was going up, restaurants, bars was going up. It was just a, a magnificent time and great, great people, football people, you know, and that's why with the Derby fans and this, again, this is no BS, but they love their club. You know, it's, it's, they love their team and they get behind them. And going back to what I said before, if you give a hundred percent, they'll accept it. They want a bit more, obviously, because they, they want to be entertained and the success that both teams have had in the past, they want to be successful. But the bottom line is when you put that shirt on, you give everything for the shirt. And going back to what I said, we had a great group of players at that time that was doing that, you know, whether it was Les, Janola, Rob Lee, David Batty, Speedo, Shea Given, um, you know, the list goes on and on and on. Uh, but some phenomenal players. 
I've watched, I was very young at the time, but obviously watched it back on Premier League years and, and stuff like that on Sky since all the those successful years with battles with Liverpool and, and things like that. Do you think that Newcastle side maybe should have gone on and, and won a Premier League or won a, won a bit more? We, it was us. We, we, there's never mm. a day goes by that we don't think that we should have won it. You know, great credit to Man United, uh, but when you're, it was 12 points that they had a game in hand. So you're nine points clear in January, February. Um, and in that sense, you think, yeah, you should hold on to do it uh, and go forward. But United was chipping away. And I go back to the game that we lost 1-0 against Eric Cantona when Smyker was making save after save. At halftime, our, our briefing from Kevin was go out and show them again. You know, maybe it was don't get beat. Whatever happens now, don't get beat. Because then it just changed. The momentum changed. The doubt was in our mind. Um, but yeah, we, we that team, and not for us, you know, I think for the fans, we'd had our day and we'd had great, you know, success to the next level of, of playing great football, entertain, you know, being called the entertainers of the Premier League is, is an achievement in itself because there were some really good teams around, the Invincibles, the Man United teams, but we were chosen as the entertainers and um, it was it was a time, but yeah, we, we feel that we let the fans down, we let the club down, Sir John, that we we had it and we let it slip and the harder we tried, the, the, the worse it got. Um, and then we bought Alan Shearer the next season and then Kevin left and then we never really got over that until Sir Bobby Robson uh, come come in and got the team back in the Champions League, competing at the highest level, challenging in, in Europe and challenging in Premier League. This season when, as you mentioned, 12 points clear or nine points clear with the game in hand, how important do you think Fergie and the battle he had with, with Kevin Keegan yeah. was? Was that, was that pivotal? In it was, it? Yeah, it was huge. He, he just knew what Breton's, buttons to press for KK. Um, and Kevin wore his heart on his sleeve uh, and you know, was, wasn't going to be intimidated. Uh, but when Sir Alex brought up about Stuart Pearce and the testimonial, everybody uh, you know, remembers the Leeds outburst at Ellen Road about we'd love it if we beat them. And, We'd love it if we beat them as well, you know, and uh, we, we wanted to show them um, and get behind Kevin and show that we was good enough. But unfortunately, uh, Fergie had, had done that. And again, the, the, the ruthlessness that he shows, and that's sometimes the difference between winners and losers, is that ruthlessness, is that, that killer instinct. We, we'd not had anyone, apart from Peter, that had won anything. Um, and we was just playing on the women. We'd had a conversation, me... Um, Les and Peter Beersley just in the, the changing room after a training session, you know, maybe we need to focus. And Peter said to us, it's not our way. The fans won't want us to win like that. If we're going to win, we're going to win it that way. And that was coming from him. And uh, we didn't have that experience to fall back on uh, and come through that. And as I said, you know, thinking about it now, it's, you just remember every instance, you know, remember the Ian Wone strike. You remember the deflection for Tony Cotty at Upton Park. And I'm talking, what, 25 years ago. So um, it's, it's in the back of our minds always because we felt that we, we, we'd done enough to go forward. But it's never over until, the, you know, until mm -hmm. she sings. And uh, unfortunately, it wasn't. You know, Maybe that's what makes it a little bit romantic because it was, it was so close, but yet so far. And you know, we're, we're judged on what we've done. And as I said, we went there to win things. We played in a couple of cup finals. We quarterfinals of uh, Europa and we've gotten the Champions League later stages, but we never had that trophy for the fans. And when you see a Leicester, when you see a Blackburn's name on the Premier League, uh, we felt that we could have we could have had that as well. But, uh, you yeah, know, that's why we're still talking about it now. Um, 
and get, getting pissed off about it. But it's fine. It's all good. It's all good. Yeah, sorry. It's a question. I didn't mean. It's one of them ones that you don't... No, 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 of course. No, it's fine. And it's better to know because, you know, I'm not... I don't think any of us would just brush it off to say, mm. well, it wasn't to be and good luck to them. It, there was a lot of emotion about that. It was a lot of, like, the fans and the players, you know, talk about now... We were so close, you know, all the, when we'd go away, we'd see a lot of them in the, the Weatherby Whaler getting in the fish and chips or in the uh, along the A1. They'd stop off if we needed to go and use or get some food or they'd be getting some food. And we'd, we, they were, we was a real bond with the, with the fans. And, um, you know, that's why, you know, the likes of Alan and Rob Lee and Peter Beersley and Shay are, are worshipped up there because they had that affinity with them. Um, and, and, you know, if we'd, we would have won something, it would have been, you know, you could walk on water, you could do what you like up there. So, um, but yeah, it was, is it, you know, it's, it's important. I think is things need to be said um, because the fans need to know and they know it anyway, uh, because, it, you know, it's been said by Philip Albert and, you know, people go on and on about different scenarios and it was, a, it, but it was a wonderful time. I'd never want to get away from that because it was a great time. Uh, we played Coventry away and it'd be like 8,000 Geordies down there you know, supporting us away from home. So Blackburn, is, we were the first time that we'd go to, you know, that stadium and fill the, the whole of the, the, the two, both tiers up, you know, there'd be Geordies everywhere. So, um, but yeah, great times, great times. Just quickly before we get on to um, the, the most important part of your career. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you, you mentioned another name that we can throw into the names we mentioned earlier, Bobby Robson, Sir Bobby. Uh, we could probably do a podcast just about him because I've seen so much so many documentaries and stories about him. It fascinates me. What just what was he like? So you sum up him as a as a character. He was a gentleman. He was um, a, a, one of the nicest people you'd ever want to meet. Uh, you know, he would talk to stewards. I remember like being at Sellers Park, twenty five minutes talking to a steward in the car park, and we was like supposed to be getting a flight to get back up to Newcastle, and we'd be like, "Come on, Gaffer, we got." A, and he would be there. No, no, I'm talking. And then he'd go on, but just his knowledge about the game. Um, his man management skills, his tactical skills, but he could be bloody ruthless if he wanted to, be, you know, and when he, when he, you know, wanted to have that say, he would say, it. Um, you know, his first time when he come in and we it was on a Thursday before we played Sheffield Wednesday, he come around and shook people's hands and we, you know, we'd had rude Hullet that sometimes he didn't know some of the younger players names or didn't know, you know, what they, what, what the positions they was. Uh, but Bobby would come in, shook everybody's hand and just said to Alan in front of everybody, why do you keep coming to get the ball short? So Alan being Alan, well, EF and told me to do it. The other fella told me to F and do it. And Bobby went, well, don't, I want you scoring goals facing that way. That's where the goal is. Long story short, we play Sheffield Wednesday. We win eight nil. Alan gets five goals. So there's, there's there's no you know there's no magic remedy about tactics and system. Get your number nine facing the goal and give him the ball. Um, but just for me, just the way he lived his life, uh, the way he was with people. Uh, you know, yes, you take a lot of my older brother, who I respect, and my mum and dad, obviously. But for him as a person, how he was. I took a lot on board of how, how he lived his life and how he wanted to be involved. If I was ever a coach, you know, people say you take things off of different people. Um, that would be, I take a lot from Bobby, you know, the way he was, the way he thought about the game. Um, there'd be another story that I'll tell you about John Gregory as well. When we talk about Derby, you, you take good and bad from, from everybody, you know, Rude Hullet, the same, you know, how he was with tactical size was great, but his man management skills was, was awful. Um, but so Bobby, the whole package, 
him and KK, because I always get asked the same question, Kevin Keegan or Sir Bobby. Sir Bobby, for me, had the whole package. He, he was great with the fans, great with the media, great with players, great with young players, great with senior players. The admin people in the office, he knew their names, he'd be around. He was just a, a total gentleman uh, and a big, big loss, you know, and the way he was treated at the end, you know, upset me a lot at Newcastle because he didn't deserve that. You know, he, he should have been look, well looked after. He was a, a national treasure, as Kieran Dyer mentioned it the other day. And you ask anybody, um, I can't think of anybody who'd have a bad word to say about Bobby. Um, Porto, PSV, you know, wherever he was, they, they, they worshipped him and loved him. Yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's a real loss. Just as a not as a Derby fan, as a football fan, it's yeah, it, it's sad to see things like that. And yeah, he was he's he's someone I've always looked not looked up to because I didn't know him, but looked at what he's done and what he's achieved, and I've always admired him. So yeah, it's it's nice to hear. Nice Put it work. this way: if you had him on this podcast, you'd have to retape it because he'd be on for about four hours. <laughs> he, he he would he would just keep talking about Derby how they was about the league about this about fans and you could be there all day. I mean, great 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 man. Yeah, he probably know more about Derby than me as well, which would be a, a bit embarrassing. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. I think I know more about Derby than you. I was oh, I years. <laughs> right. Anyway, see you later. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, we're well, we're talking about Derby. You were you moved to Derby alongside. Rob Lee, both, both from Newcastle. How did that move first come about? Uh, I've been, uh, Bobby had said to me that I wasn't going to, I got to 33 and you had Aaron Hughes coming through and Jermaine Genius. He was bringing through Kieran Dyer, Craig Bellamy. He was looking to, you know, freshen the team up. And me and, me and Rob was like coming towards the end of it. And he said, look, you know, you can play, but you may not play a lot or, or you know, see if you want to be with the academy. You knew I was coaching. I mean, maybe get you in the coach. I said, Gaffer, I'm still like 33. I feel st- I've got a lot to offer. Mm-hmm. You were a long time retired. Uh, and then literally about three weeks later, um, John Gregory got the job at, at Derby. Um, and within, I got a phone call on the Monday. By Monday afternoon, I was signed, sealed and delivered at, at, at Derby. I, I wanted to play. Uh, I knew about the club. I spoke to Bobby. He said, it's a great football club, great people. Uh, you enjoy it there. We knew about the predicament about, you know, the games and particularly the last 10 games in the Premier League was against the top eight teams. Um, but I wanted to go there. I just had a really good feeling. Um, I'd loved at Newcastle my time, uh, but it was time to move on. And Peter Smichael said that to me, actually. He said, when you move, try and move when people remember you as you was, not what you are. And at Newcastle, if I'd stayed and been a sub and... They'd gone in the Champions League and not travelled. I've been a captain there and I've been a big player there for. I played over 120 games for him. So, you know, I didn't want to go down that avenue. And I just really, John, John had said to me, "Look, we've got a group of young players that we believe in. Um, yes, there's a lot of financial problems at the club, uh, but with yourself and someone like Rob, um, would be great for us. And with the likes of the other players that we, that I thought was going to be playing, the likes of Craig Burley, Ravanelli." You looked at them, Carbonari, Pumi at the, in goal, with Danny Hegginbottom, Riggetts, Malcolm Chrissy. felt, you know, if we can get a little run together, we'd be okay. We, we, I fancy our chances. Um, obviously, I went uh, a couple of weeks before Rob because he had to do some other uh, details. Rob being Rob, it was about money. So he had to <laughs> sort things out with, with, with them. Um, but as I said, I, I had the phone call with John. Um, obviously, spoke to um, uh, the agent. And as I said, the deal was done. 
Um, I signed there for, was for another two and a half years, um, which was really looking forward to it. Um, knew it was going to be a challenge. As I said, I got there on the Thursday uh, into, the, into the hotel. Uh, and then obviously we had the game against Tottenham on the Saturday. Um, and we, you know, we got a clean sheet that hadn't happened. And there was a real energy about the ground, uh, a real positivity about what was going on. Um, and as I said, we got a good result straight away. Uh, then we had another one against Leicester away, which arguably might be one of our best performances. And John played three at the back in that game. And we thought, yeah, we, we've, we've got a chance. And then unfortunately, the Man United game, when we thought we'd won it, that got pulled back. Um, the biggest one, I think, and I don't know whether people will remember, you might be too young, but we lost at home to Middlesbrough and we've been on a good run. We'd won, I think, three out of four or two out of three, something like that. And we thought if we win that game and drag them into it, we, we've got a bit of momentum. Although we knew the difficult games coming along and we lost 1-0 to a real scrappy, scabby goal. Um, and we never really got back into that after that you know we, we played some tough games and obviously the, the Newcastle game was a was a real end-to-end -end and Alan and Rob running into each other and busting each other's faces wide open and then obviously then Newcastle scoring late on um, but you know it was it was a, a, for me it was a, a chance to play for what I've seen as a good club I played against them enough times and uh, knew that it was a, a good club a well-run club and as I said with Bobby saying about it but little did I know when I got into it, what had happened behind the scenes financially, uh, how the club was just living day to day, um, a little bit like the lead scenario, uh, how that was. The new ownership that was most supposed to be coming in with John uh, Gregory, that didn't materialise. Um, and then being just a player. Now, yes, I was involved in the PFA and I was on the committee and later becoming a PFA chairman, but like players not getting paid people in the offices who I'd got to know over the last three or four months, getting the sack in tears, uh, trying to then obviously be on the radio and be a voice in the papers because it's still important to let the fans know that we're trying hard. Then you had a breakaway group of players that wasn't involved because of John had made a decision. Still knowing them and played against them for 10 years, having to see them in there. Then you've got a bunch of young kids that are not getting paid, like a Danny Higginbottom and Riggin. What's happening? What's going on? Then you get relegated. It was a real challenging time on and off the field uh, at, at Derby towards the end of it. And I don't know whether fans know too much about it, but I'm trying to put fires out. And maybe it's my, my nature. I should have just said, look, I've only been here six months. You know, what's it got to do with me? But I took that responsibility on, and Rob did, and we we tried to with Mark Lillis, who was a you know great great resource at the club with John, just trying to get people on the same page in the changing room, on the field, in the office, with the media. You know, there's people that I got to know that was getting sacked like that because they hadn't put a plan in place. You know, I remember the in the offices, you know, um, PC World was coming in to take out computers because they was being leased and <laughs> ripped out the office. It was. It was crazy from being a Premier League team for six years and doing well with Jim and, and all the other uh, players that had had there to then just being in disarray. Within three months, people losing jobs, wages. I'm having to go to Gordon Taylor with the PFA. Look, we need to help these out. We need to help Leeds out. We need to do this. Um, a real challenging time. And then you get thrown into the championship, in my opinion, is the most toughest league in the in the in the world because it's everybody thinks they've got a divine right of being in the Premier League, and it's a dogfight day in day out with everything that's going on. And then a group of players, as I said, that 
was just trying to find their feet in that league. And it was a real tough year, the, the second year. Did you feel let down? That you'd... No, 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 sorry. No, I didn't, I didn't want to interrupt. No, because I knew, I knew the club and I knew if we could get it right. Um, I wasn't promised anything, but I wasn't told everything, put it that way. So I, I went in there, um, giving my all, as, a, as I always did, in, and, and being captain. But yeah, would it have changed my mind? No. Because I, I liked, I wanted to be at a club like that. I wanted to be at a, a Derby County and, you know, be around these younger players. And I, I'd been at Newcastle, you know, seven, eight years. So I was ready for a fresh challenge. And I, I wanted to try and give something back to the younger ones. Because I knew in my mind, 35, I want to call it a day. Because I'm going to give everything I've got for, from the age of 16 to 35 to the game. And then I want to call it a day. Um, but I just, I just felt for the people in the club. Because Derby... It's a small town, you know, it's everybody, I'm not, not, not knocking it, I'm not saying it, but people that worked in Safeways knew people in the office. People that was in the office knew someone that worked in the gas station, petrol station. So we had a responsibility that I'd walk into a supermarket and say, oh, Sylvia at the club's just got the sack, did you know? I'm like, oh, no, okay. You go and see her and say, can you do anything we can do? Do you need anything? Because it was like Christmas and, and stuff like that. So... I took that responsibility on, but it, you know, I didn't know what was around the corner. When you go there, you get a couple of results against Spurs, you beat Leicester, you draw at home against Man United. And then the summer you get told, right, this 150 people are losing their jobs. Mm. I mean, it's, it's devastating, devastating for the club. It's devastating for the community because, you know, what a lot of non-league teams are happening now, you know, people that would do it for free, would go and help and not allowed to go and do that. They're not getting paid. They're not getting looked after. Um, and it's, and, and I don't think Derby's ever recovered. Well, it hasn't. It had a chance under Frank. It's had a cup, uh, Billy as well, got him into playoffs. But it's never really recovered uh, after that because of that type of uh, debt that was took on board. And the, the atmosphere that he was trying to go through, you know, John Gregory, I've got a lot of time with John Gregory. I, I, I like him. But when he made that decision to leave Craig Ravenelli, told him at, at the end of the season, we don't want you coming back. And they're on 40, 50,000 pound a week, whatever it was. You're never going to get rid of them. No disrespect for them. You're better off using them. Leicester did it. Martin O'Neill did it with all Matt Smith, Taggart, all of that lot kept them. They got back. They bounced straight back up again. I'm not saying, but we had a good show. If we would have treated everybody the same, like you learn good and bad off of everybody. And if John would have got Ravenelli, who was hard work, Fabrizio was hard work, but Craig, Brian O'Neill, Carbon, we would have we would have at least been in the playoffs with that team, with the younger players, with a better atmosphere. I feel like we had a chance to challenge. And um, but unfortunately, he'd made that decision. Whether it was the club saying we've got to get them out, we've got no money. Uh, players wasn't playing because of appearance money because if you know if, if he got on the field he was due a ten thousand pound signing on fee we couldn't afford to pay that that that's the environment you're playing in and this, this is Derby County this is not you know Acton Stanley or Dagenham and Redbridge this is Derby County that are, in my opinion and, and a lot of people are one of the elite clubs in, in Britain you know that have got great tradition them Knott's Forest Sheffield Wednesday ever and they've got a big big tradition. It was, it was mind-blowing. I think there was a stat. I think it was about 2012 we, we finished paying Fabrizio. Um, so it was mental because obviously everything that happened with, with what that we, we were paying him for a while. And, and on reflection now, what you said is it did really kill the club for a good few years. And, and we are still recovering, really, aren't we? 
And just for the record, it's not Fabrizio's fault. Can I just say that? No, no, you know what I mean. I, I'm saying that they signed him on a two-year deal, gave him that type of money, and he had been floating in that predicament. And he was a scorer. He was a goal scorer. He could score goals, but he also had to make sure that he was in the right zone. Harry, and you know, that's he, I mean, he played with some of the biggest clubs in the world. You know, for Juventus and won the chat. So he expected certain things. Uh, but at his age, we you know couldn't get off the couldn't pay his wages to get him out of there. Um, or what I would have done is fucking played him, play, play him. Because professionalism as he is, you don't play at that level if you don't have pride and play him at home, play him with games. He would have maybe got 25 goals in the championship if we was all on the same page. It's all ifs and buts. But, you know, it's and then, like I've said, if you need to get rid of me, Rob, Fabrizio, Craig, we're back. I get it. I understand that. You know, you but you're back in the Premier League. And you look at any team, like West Brom have always done it. They go down, they keep majority of their senior players, they get back up again. Norwich will try and do the same and so on and so on and so on. And, you know, Derby could have done that transition. I mean, listen, hindsight's a, a powerful thing, but also just thinking about it logically, if you're not getting anything out of someone that you're paying a lot of money, you may as well play them. That's, One thing that's for me. Yeah, one thing I did want to, to touch on before we finish was the two-all game you mentioned earlier, which was one of my first clear memories of, of football, the two-all draw. I think that game had everything, a dislike goal, a streaker. Um, <laughs> what, are your, what are your memories of that day? It's a great game. I think you said it all. It had everything. It, it, it was a real uh, performance of, of the young player. I mean, you're going against Man United, arguably the, the best team in that era for, for a number of years. And, you know, with the Malcolm Christie on that day was unplayable. He was, he was a pest. He could run. He was hustling. He was getting chances. Defending wise, we was, was pretty solid. Uh, Danny Higginbottom tells a great story. You know, we're playing against United. I think we're winning one nil or two one. And he's, he, I keep telling them to get up and they say, no, no, no. Cause we keep getting, I saying, get up and get out of the field. Cause we can't, if you get pinned back by this lot, we're never, you're going to end up losing five, two. So we kept on getting up and ended up, we, we got another one to make it, it must've been like one, one and we got two, one and they bought into it. They're like, get us up and squeeze up. So Danny tells a story. Cause he was like him and Riggs was looking at each other saying, no, 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 I want to stay back. I want, cause if I go forward, I've got to chase them back. I said, get up because they're going to keep putting us under pressure. And we, we managed to get it, but yeah, it had everything in it. Great atmosphere, but a real disappointment afterwards with the goal being disallowed and, and everything else, because we felt it was a legitimate goal. It, it spilt it, and we, we felt it should have been a goal. Um, but that may be of the scenario of, of that season. But, um, yeah, it was, a, it was a great game. I mean, the atmosphere was brilliant. I mean, the, the, the fans and the, the passion, it was end-to-end, -end and, you know, Fergie was getting up, up tight, and John was doing his normal pacing up and down and going crazy. And it was, a, you know, really, really good. And it just, I think it gave the team a bit of confidence and a bit of pride saying that we can go toe-to-toe -to -toe with arguably one of the best teams. Um, and maybe on another day, would have got three points. Well, you mentioned the, the Middlesbrough game. It, it maybe could have been another potential turning point if you get that win and then go on to, to get a result. I mean, obviously, it's all hindsight, and I'm talking like 18 years ago, but that disallowed goal that shouldn't be disallowed, it's maybe a big moment in Derby's history with everything we've talked about. Yeah, and the, the Middlesbrough game, we went into that one really, really confident. Uh, thinking that we would get a result. And as I said, it was a scrappy game. It was really windy, if I remember, which is, uh, I sound like Jurgen Klopp, but it, was, it wasn't a, like a great uh, conditions to play. And the ball was bouncing, it was bobbling. And as I said, they got a scrappy goal, but we never really played 
to our potential. And at, when a team like Derby at the time are trying to survive in the Premier League, every time we have to play to our potential. And that was one of them games that we, there was eight, nine of us that wasn't really at it. And they, as I said, they won the game 1-0. Um, but you're right, if you end up getting a point now, point here, but we still had to go to Stanford Bridge. We still had to go to Highbury at the time. We still had to play, you know, top team Anfield. So, you know, it was always, always going to be difficult. Um, but they're moments that can drag other teams in and it's that momentum at the end of it. So, um, but uh, you asked me a question at the beginning, you know, did I regret, I would never, ever change going to that club. It, it gave me an insight. Um, it gave me a learning curve. And, and I appreciate Dave the kit man is still there that I keep in contact with him, particularly now with Shea, uh, given being there. Uh, the club, the young players, you know, I, I see the podcast with Lee Morris and some of them young players that are coming through. They've always done great with the young players. Um, I just hope, again, like with the Newcastle fans, just for the Derby fans, to, for the younger ones to get back in the Premier League, to have a taste of, of being in there uh, because it's a proper football club. It's a real football club, in my opinion. The people, the city, um, you know, I, I thoroughly enjoyed my time there. Well, that was one of the, you answered one of my final questions that I always ask about any regrets at Derby, but any, any regrets over the course of your whole football career? Anything you would have changed along the way? No, no. That's why, as I said, I can put my head on the, my pillow and I gave everything for the, for the club, whatever where I was doing. Well, I gave everything to the game. Um, and I was tired at the end, you know, and whether it was the mental side of it with the Derby or the pressure being at Newcastle, you know, every time it's a pressure to win at, at that time to be successful and the, the fans or at Wimbledon, just that pressure to try. No, I, I, I loved every, every moment. And I think you can tell, I love training. Uh, I was lucky enough touch wood not to have any serious injuries, a hamstring here and there or a groin, but nothing major um, up to 500 games. And again, going back two people told me I was too small, never going to make it played in cup finals, played for the country, played in Champions League. So, yeah, I loved it. And uh, I miss it. I miss it every day. Uh, but I've got other things in my life that I focus on and go forward. But coaching is is definitely something that I want to be involved in. Um, I'm still relatively young, 51 years of age. Um, I've done my time with my family, which are, which was important to me. Uh, but, yeah, I loved every minute. I had, I had so much fun being around so many good people. You know, as I said, the Wimbledon stories, and even with Derby at the end, you know, we, we had fun, you know, with Adam Murray and, you know, the younger players and Ian Everts. We, me and Rob tried to make it like, as soon as we got into training, let's have some fun. Let, let's get focused. Let's get the best out of what we was doing. I mean, I managed to, at Derby, I managed to meet the Queen. So that's not easy to do. So I, I met the Queen in, in that sense. So, you know, it, it doesn't get any bigger than that for me. I'm, I'm a royalist. So to meet, meet her, it was a, was a big, big deal. During that period, I'm, I'm surprised we didn't try and sign her. Um. <laughs> she would have, hey, she would have been a bit more mobile than some of us, I tell you. More mobile than Rob Lee. Anyway, he could, he could move with his fat ass everywhere, but he could pass the ball. He could run and pass it. Oh, brilliant. Hey, mate, I've really, really enjoyed it. And your passion and, and everything for the game comes through massively. It's, uh, it's amazing to talk to... Um, to an ex-pro who's got so much passion for the game because occasionally I do these and they're a bit of a chore and I'm thinking, oh, I've got to get to, to, to this time and do this. <laughs> oh, well, you, you wasn't yawning for it anyway. You wasn't starting to yawn. I started to look at your phone like young kids do. They start looking at their phone if Instagram or Twitter's yeah. come through, anything that's come through. But all, all good, a pleasure. Yeah, as I mentioned... said, I, I follow the Derby all the time and, you know, uh, I've got a, a lot of friends there and I just wish them all well. 
And you mentioned coaching and getting into that side of it. So um, when you come back as Derby manager one day, we'll, uh, we'll we'll have to do another one. Do I get the exclusive? Yeah, you can you can be our press officer. I'll get you as a press <laughs> officer. <laughs> you can be in there. I have to get you out of that little room, though. You have to get in a proper office. Yeah, that's what I mean, yeah. <laughs> this is tradition. I did them all through lockdown, yeah? So every time I have to... <laughs> yeah. I'm here. You've really got to get out more often, I tell you. But you're, you're fine. Stay, stay safe, anyway. <laughs> that's all right. Cheers, pal. Top, top, man. Top, man. Take care. Bye.